friends, and welcome to another episode of Faith and UU, the podcast for everyone. My name is Reverend McKinley Sims, and I serve at the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Restoration in Mount Airy in beautiful Philadelphia. It is the middle of May, and it is raining outside, and I wanted to come in and talk a little bit about curiosity today. At my church, we use something called the Soul Matters theme to inform our preaching text and sermon series for the different months. And for the month of May, it's curiosity. And that has made me a little curious. So if you are new to the podcast, I am a Unitarian Universalist minister who comes from the Christian tradition, identify as a liberal progressive Christian, and this podcast is a tool that helps me fuse the Unitarian Universalist denomination of which I serve and the tradition of progressive Christianity that I come from to try and present another face of that tradition to UUs and try to present the face of UUs, traditional Unitarian Universalism, to other progressive Christians. It's a project that I take very seriously and I find it very fulfilling. And I am looking forward to continuing this throughout the summer as often as possible. I've taken a couple of weeks off before because I was busy with Easter and a few other things going on in life. But we had a service on Sunday in the Unitarian Universalist tradition where we do something called the flower ceremony, sometimes called flower communion. And flower communion was started by one of my predecessors and colleagues, Dr. Norbert Chapik, who was a Unitarian minister in Czechoslovakia. In 1923, Dr. Chapik was ministering and pastoring at a church in Czechoslovakia. And his Unitarian church had a lot of folks who came from the Catholic tradition, who had been very wounded by the Catholic tradition and did not find spiritual sustenance from that version of Christianity anymore. But they still craved the ritual and the routine of the faith of their upbringing. So Dr. Chapik, in his little country church, looked outside of his windows and saw all the beautiful wildflowers growing in the fields surrounding the parish. And he came up with this idea for something called the Flower Communion. And it's a ritual that started over in Europe, came to America in 1940 through his uh, widowed wife, Maya, because Dr. Chapik was seen as an enemy of the Nazi regime and was eventually put to death in Dachau concentration camp. But his legacy and his commitment to inclusion and healing live on in this thing that we call the flower ceremony, the flower communion. So if you're not familiar with the tradition, what it is is that people are invited to bring in flowers, usually from their gardens or wildflowers, um, you can go buy flowers if you need. And people bring in a small amount of different kinds of flowers, one to maybe half a dozen. And you put them all into the same vase or the same bowl. And then, after a prayer and a time of introspection, people take a different flower from the one that they brought. And it's a ceremony that's about community and inclusion and diversity that everyone brings something and then takes something away. It's a statement about being together. 
but it's also a reflection of the ritual of the Eucharist and the communion in the Christian tradition. So remember, Dr. Chappick had a lot of former Catholics who were somewhat familiar with the coming up to a central place and taking something that was freely given and receiving this gift before going on their way. And they found so much meaning and love in this ritual that it's continued on, and I, I dare say it's a mainstay of Unitarian Universalism to this day. So we had Flower Communion at Restoration on Sunday. And with the theme of curiosity, I started thinking about what the flowers mean to me and what the transient nature of the flowers means to me. So I've always been a really questioning person to ask a lot of questions. And I've been spending a lot of time with some neighbor friends who have a three-year-old who has learned a great many words. But his favorite word seems to be, why? Well, why? You can't do that. Why? You can't do this. Why? Why? And I think that's a really deep theological statement. That when we're little, some of the first things we learn are yes, no, and why. Why is the sky blue? Why do the stars twinkle in the sky? Why do animals pass away? Why do people pass away? What happens to us after we die? Lots of questions, right? It's almost like we're primed to come out of the womb asking questions, that we are a meaning-seeking people, that we are created to seek and plumb the depths and search for answers and search for truth. So when I think about curiosity, I think of it as a fundamentally human concept. I don't think it's uniquely human, don't get me wrong. I think animals feel curious and feel instinctual, but I think our curiosity makes us fundamentally human, because I think it's all about the seeking answers, the searching for newness, the searching for truth. And if our curiosity is fundamentally human, I think one of its great strengths is that it helps us access life. It helps us access different levels of life. And what I mean by that is we could go through life simply existing that you could wake up, eat when you're hungry, sleep when you're tired, drink when you're thirsty, and live, or at least exist. But to really, really live, to really thrive, there are these other aspects to our humanity, or other aspects to our lives. I would label them as emotional aspects and spiritual aspects, and there's some overlay. But I think it's our curiosity that's at the core of being able to access those feelings, those emotions, those spiritual selves that we have. Because curiosity allows us to go deeper, right? If we want to know why things happen, if we want to know why the sky is blue, we might look more into the science, into the biology of our eyes. If we want to know what the names of the stars in the sky, we might delve deeper into astronomy, which might lead us towards astrology, which realms goes into the spiritual realm. If we want to know what happens to animals and people after they pass away, we really start to go below the surface level of life. 
And when we ask these questions, we find that there are corresponding emotions. We experience awe when looking up at the sky. We experience wonder when delving into science. We experience grief when we lose those we love. We experience joy when we find deep answers that resonate with us. Curiosity helps us move up and down on that plane of existence. It helps us interact with other people, with our neighbors. I find small talk to be excruciating. I don't know if you are like this, but when I go to a party, I find the chit-chat, the hi, how are yous, to be really, really draining. But the deeper conversations, the questions, is all well with your soul? What is speaking to you this day? What is God doing in your life? That's the stuff that really jazzes me up, that really gets me energized. And it is my curiosity to know about other people, to hear what their experience is, that lets me access, that lets me resonate with empathy with them. And it's my curiosity that helps me connect with others rather than just simply going along, having an experience, simply existing. Right When I enter into a relationship with someone else and we share these deep emotional experiences, it becomes an act of the Spirit. It becomes an act of faith. And for me, that fills my gas tank. It helps me keep going. It helps me feel connected and renewed. And curiosity is the go-go juice in that act. So it's not just about feelings and emotions, right? We've talked about the spiritual lives, that we are spiritual people. For me, the curiosity connects my faith because the curiosity is part of my doubt. And that might seem counterintuitive, especially if you grew up with the notion that religion is only about seeking and knowing the truth without doubt, that you have to be 100% sure that there is no room for doubt, there is no room for questioning. If it's in the good book, that's the truth. If the preacher says it, that's the truth. No other questions or doubts will be welcomed. We get these messages that if you are a seeker, or if you don't fully identify with one religious tradition, or if you constantly have questions about religion, about life, death, faith, that you're somehow not spiritual. Have you ever heard someone say this? I'm not, I'm not a very spiritual person. I have a lot of folks come to me and tell me that. They don't see themselves as spiritual because they've drifted away from the faith of their upbringing or they don't attend to church regularly. And I have to let them know that I don't know many things. I've done a lot of studies, so I know some things, but I don't know many things. I believe a lot of things, right? I'm a person of faith, but I don't know a lot of things. But I know this. Questions and doubts are an essential part of faith. Not just in Unitarian Universalism, not just in progressive Christianity, but I think in all things, the questions and doubts are an essential part of faith. And that if you're part of a tradition that says religion is about knowing the truth 100% with no doubt at all, that your theology is absolutely correct, that's usually a sign of spiritual immaturity and spiritual insecurity. And it's usually from someone who's trying to cover it up and lie to themselves so that they can lie to you 
because deep down they're scared that they're wrong. And that sounds like a heavy accusation, but I feel pretty authoritative in being able to say that because that was me at one point. I was so worried about having doubt, about having disbelief, unbelief perhaps, that I was worried I was doing it wrong. I was worried I was not a religious person. I was not a spiritual person. I realized I was doing wrong by God. I thought I was doing wrong by God. And what I realized was I was not doing wrong by God at all. What I've come to realize is that that kind of fundamentalism is dangerous. Not only because it produces this need to impose your theology on someone else for fear of disrespecting God in some way that you have to kill in the name of God or oppress someone in the name of Jesus or to fight in the name of Islam. These are all ways of trying to not be fully human in the name of trying to be something beyond human. But it's that humanity that's connected to our fundamental curiosity that makes questions and doubt completely natural, completely appropriate. And the kind of fundamentalism that says my theology is absolutely correct and I'm going to prove it to you is dangerous because it exists without curiosity. Or at least it labels curiosity as something dangerous and inherently non-religious. When people tell you you don't need to question, you need to be wary. Because we're made to question. We're designed to seek answers. We are prepped for curiosity. It's why we ask these questions as little kids. Why? Why? We learn yes, no, and why. That's our spiritual journey, right? We want to know what is, what isn't, who we are, who we aren't, what we believe, what we don't. And then we want to know why. We want to go deeper. So imagine you have a vase of flowers in front of you. Or if you have a vase of flowers, you can just look at it. I think of this connection between our faith lives, our emotional selves, the higher planes of existence, and our lived experiences, like this flower. That the water and the air, that's the stuff that we live in. That's the stuff that influences us, the experiences that we have. Our curiosity our need to question, our need to seek the truth, our need to look for answers, to be on this journey, is the stem of the flower. And the petals are our spiritual lives, our emotions, our feelings, our doubts, our certainties, all the stuff that makes life blooming, that makes life thriving, that makes life worth living. The deeper conversations at parties, the deep questions that fill us with awe, wonder, joy, grief. That's all the stuff that blooms out of that curiosity. So the curiosity is the bridge that connects us. And I like this metaphor that these, these flowers in this vase, these wonderful symbols that show the link between our curious human selves, our faith lives, our emotional lives, and the stuff that happens to us every day. I like that it shows that connection, but I also like that the symbol of the flowers in the vase is a symbol of beauty and fragility. 
These flowers are gorgeous and they are finite. That our life is deep and meaningful and short-lived. That eventually, like the flowers in the vase, we will all wither and die. And for me, that is my ultimate curiosity. I am so curious about what it is to be on the other side. What happens to us when we pass away? What comes next, if anything? So this finite self that we have, it actually drives me on to live life more fully, to experience life more fully, to keep on questioning, to keep learning, to grow, to experience. Right? I have my beliefs about what happens after we die, but that's kind of irrelevant. It makes me more concerned with the life now. Taking time to smell the flowers, to feel my feet on the earth, to connect with others deeply and not just have small talk, chit-chat that drains me. To create new things, to connect with new things, to really live, to thrive, not just to exist. Life is fleeting, and that impermanence, like the flowers, makes it beautiful. So I often find myself wanting to do more, the bucket list, right? have all these things to do more, to see more, to try more. That comes from my curiosity, and it comes from the finite mortality that we have. But I think curiosity also has this incredible ability to be a tool to not just seek more, but to also seek depth that balances. Where we're not just living to excess and kind of hedonism, where the only thing that matters is sensory pleasures. But curiosity also takes us into these deep questions deep within ourselves to experience these emotions that we've been talking about. So I also think that curiosity can be an act of soul care, of self-care for your weariness. Right? We live in a world where we have big questions, not just about what happens after we die, but why do bad things happen here and now? with more news of school shootings and children laying down their lives to be hailed as heroes, with an environmental crisis coming on the waves of political upheaval, with the rights of people who are considered in the minority being stripped away, with oppression seemingly around every corner on the nightly news. There's a lot to feel there's a lot to be angry about, to be furious, to be despondent, to wallow. Curiosity might hold a key to self-care in these moments. Because sometimes we feel these things, and we think, listen, for me and my social location, I'm a straight, white, Christian man. I shouldn't be feeling upset about this. It's not going to affect me. I shouldn't feel that way. Why am I so sad? Why am I upset? What's wrong with me? And I can get to a negative spiral, like a shame spiral, like Brene Brown talks about. So I was reading an article by Carolyn Van Kimenade, who's a Buddhist practitioner. And she talks about using contemplative practice, mindfulness practice, as a way to shift her response from these feelings where she feels like she's stuck to a more healthy emotional response. So she talks about staring at the inside of her mind when she does meditation. 
and noticing these feelings that she's having. We have these experiences, that's the water and the air, and they filter up into the flower, into the petals. And she's looking at these petals and she's saying, oh, okay, that is anger. That is fear. Oh, that's frustration. I wonder where that's coming from. She's using her curiosity as that bridge, as that stem, that changes the logical response from, I shouldn't be feeling this, I'm not allowed to feel that way, to, listen, that's a normal response, I'm having a normal human moment, regardless of my social location. And it changes the emotional response from, oh, why am I so mad, to, hmm, why am I so mad? What's going on here? This curiosity that helps us reach for more and reach for different levels of our existence also helps us go deeper into the self-exploration and helps us do a check-in. It helps us find these emotions and figure out what's going on inside of us. Is all well with my soul? And going from why am I so angry to I am angry to, oh look, that's anger. I wonder where that comes from. That's an act of self-care, right? It removes the guilt and the shame by using curiosity to engage the fullness of your humanity, right? It helps you stay focused on positive change to get out of the stuckness. And using your curiosity to examine your inner emotions, it might just lead to forgiveness of yourself. And one of the things we talk about in the Christian tradition is from the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples, often called the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Another translation of that line of the prayer is, forgive us our trespasses so that we may forgive those who trespass against us. That to forgive others starts with yourself. Indeed, I think that's kind of a, a smaller portion of a meta idea, right? I wear this wristband on my wrist that says, be good to people. And then the subtext is, it starts with you. Be good to people, it starts with you. And of course, the idea is kind of the Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world idea. If you want to change the world, start being nice to people. But there's also something deeper that if you're curious about, you can delve into. That if you really want to be good to people, to treat others with respect and dignity, to recognize their inherent worth, to recognize the divine spark that they are created in the image of God, you got to be able to do that with yourself. Right? If we try to repress our emotions, if we try to, to not feel some of these things, if we get upset with ourselves because we feel too emotional, we're not being good to ourselves. And if we're not being good to ourselves, if we're not forgiving ourselves, then how can we be good to others? How can we forgive others? But engaging in this curiosity can help us short-circuit that response, help us stay focused on positive change and get unstuck. So I want to kind of combine these ideas that we're talking about 
curiosity as a way to get unstuck, as a way of self-care. And that curiosity helps us access not just faith, but also doubt. And how maybe those two things aren't that separate. That doubt is actually a part of faith. So there's a story from the Christian tradition that's from the Gospel of Mark, from chapter 9. And it's a story in the Jesus tradition that illustrates this. So there's a father with a sick child, and he encounters the Jewish rabbi from Nazareth. And some other people have tried to heal this child who's having something that, that looks like epileptic seizures, maybe. The child seems to be stuck in this state. And other people have tried to heal the child, and they can't do it. And so the Jewish rabbi from Nazareth, who comes announcing something called the kingdom of God, the injustice of the Roman Empire's occupation, will soon be at an end. Who promises that God is on the side of the oppressed, God is on the side of the poor and the marginalized. And this beloved community, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, coming in the here and now that promotes life and liberation and personhood, is coming soon, is imminent. That the world can become on earth as it is in heaven. So in this instance, this looks like the Jewish father asking Jesus to heal the child. So he works up his bravery and his courage and he engages in his curiosity and he asks if Jesus can heal his son. And Jesus responds that all things are possible for those who believe, for those who have faith. And this father responds, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. The word here is apistia, which means like the direct opposite of pistia, belief. And the child is healed. And it's a miraculous story, right? So you can look into the supernatural and ask questions about it. Or you can look past the supernatural and just look at it as a story. But remember, there were these other people who tried to heal and they couldn't. So some other folks are wondering why they couldn't help this child and Jesus can. And Jesus responds that this was an act of faith, an act of prayer. That's what made this happen. So you have this Jewish father who comes after trying other alternative methods of healing, and he can't help his child get unstuck from this position, from this illness. And he claims to have unbelief, to have doubt, to be unsure. But that is what heals his child, this act of faith. So when people come and tell me that they have doubts, they have questions, they're seeking the truth, they don't really know what to identify as, they don't really feel too spiritual or religious, so they must not be, I like to point out this story. That's exactly what this father does. He has faith and doubt. He'd had these experiences that piqued his curiosity, that helped him experience grief, loss, and hope, and that the faith and the doubt and the emotions, that they're all wrapped together, right? They're all the petals blooming from these flowers. The doubt and certainty are both parts of faith. And when they're present together, like in this situation, when the doubt and the faith 
are all wrapped up as one. When the curiosity is engaged and the emotions are engaged and the feelings are engaged and connection is made between two people and it's not just small talk, but it's something deeper. It's vulnerability. It's asking for help. When all of that is present in this human situation, there's a possibility of healing. There's a possibility of restoration. I think back on Dr. Norbert Chappick's Flower Communion, when the wounded people of his church came together looking for a ritual to find healing and to find restoration. And rather than shutting down or turning away from something called Flower Communion, they bravely engaged with it. And they found solace. They found wonder. They found awe. They found the Spirit. They found the presence of God. And maybe just a little bit of healing happened. My friend's life is too short to walk around wounded for all time, to not stop and smell the flowers, to not think of ourselves as spiritual people because of our doubts. My hope is that when we participate in these rituals, when we search for meaning, when we seek out the truth, that we are constantly looking for things that lift us up, that bring us closer to God and to one another, that we find ways to experience all that life has, that we find the courage to feel our feelings, to ask deep questions, to seek out beauty, and to remember that life is fleeting. Be good to people. It starts with you. Approach yourself with compassion, curiosity, and care. When you feel these things, when you have emotional responses, when you have doubts, remember you're having a normal human response to an incredibly human experience. Your curiosity about what's going on within you and what's going on around you helps you live more fully, helps you live into the fullness of this human life, helps you find God wherever you go not just in the 100% correct truth or theology of a book or a tradition or a preacher or even a podcast, dare I say it, but that it's all on the table, that it's all part of the blooming, and it's all part of this fragile life. Stop and smell the roses. Give yourself a little grace when you feel unbelief. And know that if you can find the balance find the wholeness of the experience, that there's a possibility for healing and restoration in that as well. That is my hope and prayer for all of us as we go towards this summer, towards the latter half of this year, and into the future, where God willing, some good news will be around the corner for our world, for our country, for our families, for everything and all things. Maybe so. Amen. To hear more from Reverend McKinley, you can follow him on Twitter at McKinley L. Sims. That's at McKinley L. Sims. Or find him on the blog, uuministry.com backslash McKinley Sims. uuministry.com backslash McKinley Sims. Uh-huh.